mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Come on. Come on. Because we've got showbiz anecdotes to get through. We've got, look at the emails. We've got hundreds of emails. Hundreds. Jane's back, everybody. <laughs> She's back. She made it back. Oh, I'll put off going to the loo until later then. Right. Should I be concerned? <laughs> what about the frequency of yes. my visits? <laughs> Have you just drunk too much tea today? Um, I just got all the timing wrong of the loo visits. Okay. Yeah, you do have to be careful, don't you? When you're in, trapped in a studio, although because there are two of us, we're not really trapped, yeah. so you can always go for a comfort break during a radio no, show. That's very true. And actually, yesterday, because I was flying solo, yes. I did have to think about that yeah. before I went on air. And I didn't get it very right, actually. I was absolutely busting by, by the fall. end. Yes. Yeah. What a lovely thought. What a lovely thought. Now, uh, Jane has got some very exciting uh, news because... Um, because you did an appearance, didn't you, as a guest on the How to Fail podcast, which is presented by the very fragrant Elizabeth Day. Mm-hmm. And in celebration of, I think, is it the 223rd season? <laughs> it's not, it's the 20th. <laughs> Of the podcast. It was an anniversary dinner. Well, it's kind of, um, we we can't, we're not here to plug another bloody podcast, are we? I think you will find that that dinner was entirely to plug a podcast. It was a very enjoyable dinner, I tell you. Um, And um, uh, what can I say about it? It's been acquired by a new owner. So I think it's been bought out by a conglomerate. (laughs) In celebration, there was a very fandango dinner. Uh, at a very nice place, actually. I don't yeah. know whether I can really go into too much detail about where the venue was, but it was delicious food. And I had... Um, I can't pretend that I'm so goggle-eyed at those events that I don't eat. Because <laughs> I do enjoy my food, and it was lovely. And when you're in a restaurant and you're not paying, and it was a particularly nice one, I, I was... He just <laughs> just nose down. <laughs> Jane's troughing, everybody. <laughs> It'll no, be a long break in conversation. I, I actually, in fairness, don't think I made my way to the pudding. I think that might want that might have passed me by. But okay. drink. What was what did you? Have? What was on the menu? Taken. Um, my what was my starter? It was a burrata with um, very nice parma ham. And did you coiled get, around it? You know, it the they were in a kind burrata? of embrace. It was a, a a dollop, but that does it a disservice. Okay. It was a, a more of a mound. Artfully placed, lovely. Mm. Followed by, oh, I had I had the guinea fowl. Guinea fowl. <laughs> I always choose guinea fowl when it's on the menu. No, uh, in fairness, I thought it was chicken, until somebody told me it was guinea fowl. Okay, <laughs> isn't was... it a different colour? Isn't it a bit brown? I don't know. I wasn't really focusing on the. Okay. Well, I didn't so have my glasses the, okay, on. Either, the big so. thing is the guest list because you had wet our appetite on the production team because uh, you had said that you might be sitting between Jamie Dornan. And Ed Miliband. I mean, FFS, Ed Miliband. I know. I mean, an absolute hunk. <laughs> what can we say? The funny is, a funny, funny is. Um, I really like Ed Miliband. Yes, and I was yeah. about to say. So I'm being, I'm, I'm being. Yes, I know, I silly. know you are. I know you are. You're being a bit. Yes, you are being a bit silly. Yes, <laughs> for once it's been acknowledged. Uh, she also said on the radio show today that I can't park, which is I may have may well have said it in the comfort and security of this podcast situation. I don't mean it to be broadcast on a radio program. Uh, anyway, I can park as long as it's going forwards. So that's absolutely fine. It's just when you have to be really, really complicated uh, that I that I can't always get it okay, right. Okay, come on, let's get back to the boys. So no, so uh, there was an amazing seating plan, and I did, I did strike lucky. Let's be honest, because uh, I was sitting between, and it, there weren't many people there. There wasn't sort of four hundred people. It was yeah. about about twenty three or four people, and I was sitting between, quite literally, the former leader of the Labour Party, and Jamie Dorn. <laughs> 
how cool is that? And I should also say, shout out, sitting opposite me, Dolly Alderton. Oh, lovely Dolly. So, you know, I mean, you're not going to have a bad night, are you? So, did you do that thing where you talked to yes, Jamie well. during the Barata and Ed was on Guinea Fowl? No, I, Ed and I did both our starter and our main course. and <gasps> well, then, Didn't that leave Jamie out in the cold? Just a moment. Then I had to shoot across the room because I had a message for Doctor Who, who was also there. Okay. Shooting. Uh, Shooting Gatwell, who's a brilliant actor, very friendly man, wearing, might I say, a most lovely uh, pink short-sleeved, I think it might even have been a knitted top or, no, a knitted effect top with gold buttons and he looked brilliant in it. I would wager that 95% of the male population would struggle in that garment. He looked extraordinary. Can you imagine it on Ed Miliband? (laughs) I can't even imagine it on Jamie Dornan, if I'm honest. It was, it was, it, it was just looked perfect though on him, just absolutely gorgeous. Uh, anyway, I passed the message on to him, and then I went back to my seat. And Ed had moved somewhere else, so it was a very social evening. Lots of people moving around the table, so I then got a chance to talk to Trini Woodall and Jamie Dornan. Now, what is your opening gambit with Jamie Dornan? What did I say? Do you know, I don't know. Let, I'll be totally honest with this, and I think anyone... I mean, I was by some margin the least well-known person in that room. Let's just lay that out there. Um, so, obviously, most people hadn't got a bloody clue who I was, which, uh, because other people there included Joe Wicks, uh, Nigel Slater, brilliant novelist Marion Keyes. Um, I'm trying to come But up- are you sure that all of the... Uh, you know, other people from different disciplines would genuinely know who all of those people were. I don't want to say Jamie Dornan and Ed Miliband are very recognisable, aren't they? Because, you know, one's on TV and one, yeah. you know, is is a, a, a influential figure in politics. Mm. But would, I don't know, would Doctor Who know who Marion Keyes was? That's a, I, I don't know. And I don't know whether Marion Keyes knew who Doctor Who was, yeah. to be honest. Um, so I, I think you're doing yourself down. No, I don't. I don't think I am. I think I'm just being. Brutally honest, as I, as I like to be, filled with self-knowledge. Um, but do you know what? It was a lovely, it was a really enjoyable evening. And J- and Jamie Dornan uh, does have the reputation as being someone who's who's easy to talk to and pleasant. And that sounds like I'm damning with faint praise. But um, he was he was really, he seemed incredibly likeable, very down to earth, um, made me laugh, took an interest in other people. I don't think you can say fairer than that. Mm. And I just had to forget about Fifty Shades of Grey. I just didn't let... Any of those thoughts cross my mind. Have you seen the film? I've seen enough of the film and read enough of the book to know what Jamie had been through. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, look, bear in mind that this is a room full of people who failed a lot. Yes. <laughs> Some shocking... Rick Astley. Some terrible failures. Um, um, I'm glad it was a good evening. I do think that... Uh, we, I mean, we should just mention Elizabeth Day a bit more in all of that because this is... Yeah, no, because... well, she, she and her people had put that night together. Yeah. And, well, she knows what I think about it because I've obviously told her, but it was just a really enjoyable night. But I think she's done something uh, so fantastic with that podcast, mm. proved the longevity of a podcast, mm. proved that you can grow something from something very small because yeah. she just started it herself, mm. drawing on a rosette. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think she's a... You know, I think that it's a great concept. It is a great concept. And she's and, got some amazing interviews. Yeah, and people. she's really, you know, she's nailed it. So yeah. all hail to her. Yeah, no. Can you remember what your failures were on it? Uh, a failure to listen, because that was one of the things. That, in fact, we all got we all got a napkin with one of our failures embroidered on it. And I have, mine hasn't made, made its way home. I'd like to know where that's gone. I was a bit tipsy towards the end. And one of my failures was failure to listen. But also, I'd fa- and I didn't listen much as a child, and I'm trying to do better in adult life. I also uh, couldn't speak a foreign language or couldn't play a musical instrument. Ed Miliband, um, who, um, well, I'll get onto him in a minute, but um, his his napkin said failure to win the 2015 election. Ouch! <laughs> Which is, <laughs> I mean, but the great thing about him, and this is not a party political podcast, but he is likable. He's very self-deprecating, and he's interesting and interested. And the way he was treated around that time by the by the media, let's be honest, was pretty hideous. And I think if anyone had the opportunity to just spend a bit of time just just in conversation with someone like him, who was so derided in so many different ways, you know, I don't want to talk about the bacon sandwich, but you know, all of that stuff that went on. You know, he's. I think he's come out of it exceptionally well, but I think he still, frankly, bears some of the scars. I think it was really tough. 
really tough. So um, it was a great evening and uh, I was talking to Marion Keyes, the writer, and she's got a new book coming out. She's actually um, recording the audiobook now. And uh, so it'll be great to get her on when that book oh, comes I out and hear all about it. But she was really interesting on the kind of social anxiety, you know, which I definitely have, you know, and I think a lot of people, when they face an evening out, would think, well, I don't really want to go. And I certainly, if when it actually came to it on Friday, although nothing would have stopped me going, really, um, there was still a big part of me that kept thinking, gosh, wouldn't it be great if I just got really quite a severe head cold just at the last minute and just wasn't able to go. <laughs> But because so, sometimes walking into a room it, of that sort, certainly, it takes courage, doesn't it? Not every, and, you know, I think Marion and I were probably not alone in that room, having had thoughts previously like, do I really want to be there with all those people? Mm. I don't know. Anyway, there you go. Bear Grylls, he was also there. Does Ed He's not a bear in real life. Does he still do his Reasons to be Cheerful podcast? Um, he, um, yes, he does Bits and Bobs with Jeff Lloyd, who's another yeah. ni- very nice man who wasn't there. Yep. Because yeah. I like that. Yes, it was, it was a very, very good. good one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, anyway, a lovely evening enjoyed by all. Now, emails, emails. Yes. Uh, oh, so, we should say who we've got on as our guest today. Oh, Tamsin Gregg, the actor uh, who is talking about her new series that she appears in uh, called Sexy Beast, which is on Paramount Plus, which is a gangland drama set in the 1990s. And it's got themes of pornography, actually, to be... I mean, I'm saying that in a funny tone just because it keys into what we've we been discussing. About, yeah. uh, and she's very interesting about lots of things, so do stay with us for that. Uh, just to fill you in, we were talking about strange classes that me and the other Jane had been to because I'd been to aromatherapy yoga at the weekend. Had Jane. You? I had, yeah. Sorry, I just did a burp there. <laughs> do apologise. I think it was the thought of aromatherapy yoga. It was quite strange. It was quite strange. What, my burp or the... Uh, no, the aromatherapy oh, yoga. Oh, right, OK. Yeah. It was was it a new, it's a new thing? Did you go with a friend? No, I did it I, I did it in that kind of, it's January and I really need to do something new. And a little bit like your Pilates, which you thought that you'd been a regular at Pilates until the instructor said you hadn't been since 1998. <laughs> I think that I, I'm a yoga practitioner, but I actually... <laughs> I haven't done anything on a yoga mat, not even yoga, hmm. uh, since the early noughties. So I thought, no, I should do that. And also because everything, I mean, literally every joint is uh, is starting to ache ahead of 55. So okay. I thought I'd do that. Well, I mean, I will say again about Pilates, I know it's a bit of a cliche, but it's the only exercise that I've ever stuck at. And I have been going consistently now for a couple of years. Highly recommended. Does help with the joints, definitely. Can we just say hello to Hilary? Hilary, uh, we both know that you're somewhere you don't want to be at the moment. Uh, lots of love and uh, we're, we're going to keep you company through the week thank you Janine is in Germany uh, loves listening every day Friday to Sunday I go back and listen to the radio show that's very kind of you the radio show is available for free if you down the time, download the Times Radio app uh, we're on between 3 and 5 uh, Monday to Thursday uh, Janine says, I've been holding on to this memory for so long and at last the opportunity has arisen to be able to share it. Uh, as Fee mentioned her yoga class experience on today's podcast, this was a Pilates class in Germany. I'm fluent in German, but very occasionally vocabulary gets very specific or people talk in regional accents. Towards the end of this class, the only difficulty so far was not being able to locate my Schlussenbein. <laughs> and I'm just going to fail on all of these. Right. Uh, where the hell is it? I know Bein means leg and Schlüssel means key, but that doesn't really help find it. And on looking at all of the other participants in the room, I could not see for the life of me what they were moving. Anyway, we are instructed to lie down and breathe slowly. Best part of the class. You're right there. The teacher then asked us to envisage a Katze. Quick German lesson here. Katze in German is cat, but when spoken with a strong Palatinate accent, it sounds more like Ketze which means candles. So I'm imagining a cat, as that's how it's said. She elaborated. Imagine a big white cat. My mind acknowledged briefly that this was rather strange, but hey-ho, and I was imagining my best big white cat. The teacher then says, now light the cat with a flame. Oh, my God. <laughs> Whereupon I realised my mix-up with cats and candles, but not before my imagination has already lit the evil monster cat and everyone is so quiet and relaxed lying on the floor. It was all I could do. It was all I could manage not to combust myself. Never did Pilates again, and about ten years down the line, I do know where my schlussenbein is. 
It's a collarbone. Is it the collarbone? Yeah. Okay. Right. Uh, that that does sound very intense. We had a big fat white cat. cat I can't speak. Big fat white cat in our back garden yesterday. Did a poo, and uh, the kid sent me a film of Dora looking at it. With what, a, looking at the poo? No, the cat? looking at the cat. She doesn't go out. Not in wind. Uh, she was in the house. You must be joking. But uh, the astonishment and the absolute indignation on her face that another really quite enormous creature had come into our garden and was using our lavatory facilities. Ugh, disgusting. Um, the wind seems to have abated, but we're told there's another storm coming today. Jocelyn's on Joc her way. Right, yeah. OK. God, I see. Um, I don't know whether you... I don't think you did do this, this yesterday. This is from Rachel in Sydney. Um, and it's about pornography. Uh, my oldest son is 11. And I recently followed advice that I actually heard about a couple of years ago. A psychologist described how if you're watching a film and the main character decides to get a taxi to the office, then the movie will show them getting into the cab and then getting out the other end. It doesn't show them in real time waiting for the cab and then getting in and then sitting in the back of it for 15 minutes and then getting out at the end. And it's the same with porn. Just like in any movie, you only see the edited highlights. All the boring bits or the times when things go wrong get edited out. I think this alone can create unrealistic expectations about what sex is like, which at best will make sex disappointing and at worst damaging. I simplified the analogy for my 11-year-old football mad son by saying, imagine if your friend only ever saw soccer mini-game highlights on telly and then you took them to a real game, do you think they'd be bored? To which he replied, yes. So clearly, I'm just starting the conversation with him. Rachel, thank you for that. I think that's a very that's an interesting analogy, not one I've heard before. It does make absolute sense, though. So yeah. thank you. Yeah. And there have been so many very helpful suggestions, actually, about good analogies to use. Uh, did we talk about this on the podcast or on the show? The mum who had said it would be like learning to drive by watching Fast and Furious. Oh, I haven't heard that. So That's if, it's if we did good. do it on the show with me there, I wasn't concentrating. <laughs> OK, well, well, please, could you try? I don't know. I, I move in. It's only two hours. I'm more of a showbiz person now, really. Oh, God. So I, I can't this be is Eve, this is just going to become interminable. Yes, absolutely. Jamie was going on a modelling show. Oh, my God. He told oh, me all about it. Oh, he was my going, God. No. Oh, my God. <laughs> Stop. I wasn't going on a modelling shoot. Taking your placenta home for consumption. Yes. Now, some people were appalled by that conversation yesterday. I'd have stopped it if I'd been there. What happened? <laughs> so we had a lovely email uh, from Elaine, uh, who sent us uh, the fact sheet from the Women's Royal Hospital in Victoria in Australia about taking your placenta home. Right. And we were discussing... So sorry, they actually encourage it. Yes, oh, so, the, so then they give you a sheet. I mean, oh I was never given a sheet. Were you given a sheet? No. In a UK hospital? No. And we were just uh, mulling over, me and the Jamal Karens, uh, just this extraordinary final paragraph. Oh, Plus, I've got sheets on the bed. No, a sheet. Oh, yeah, like this, an information an sheet. An information sheet. I say, I mean, things were bad, but not that bad. Oh. Placentas for consumption should be treated just as you would fresh raw meat and should be placed in your cooler as soon as possible. But the placenta should not be stored in a fridge where food is kept. But then, you know, they're, they're kind of encouraging you to eat it. Well, Isn't you, that weird? That's OK if you're a two-fridge household, I suppose. I mean, there must be some people rich enough to have a fridge just for placentas. Yes, but what would the other fridge be for? For, I don't know, dog food? I'm not sure. Anyway, we just need to know a little bit more about that. Could piece. you pass me that sheet, please? Yes, I'd just like to take it home. I mean, you never know. I like Are you going to dig yours out? <laughs> <laughs> uh, lots of people have been teaching their cats all kinds of things. Uh, Annie... Uh, can't pretend I've ever trained a cat myself, but many moons ago I had a cheeky, gorgeous tortoiseshell cat named Elsa. This minx not only taught herself to knock on the foot-level letterbox for entry into the house, but she taught several other neighbouring cats the same trick. It wasn't unusual to have three or four other cats knocking on the letterbox, one after the other, demanding entry, then taking up positions in the sitting room for Elsa to host her feline soirees. It felt like a members-only club. Uh, when she wasn't playing hostess, she could be found laying in the entrance of the local pub, gregarious to a fault. What a character she was. Oh, she does sound a character. Indeed. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's lovely when cats go out and about, isn't it? And make themselves known. In There's a couple that lurk around in particular supermarkets and become favourites of 
customers and I think that's great yes yeah yeah I think Barbara and Brian actually live somewhere else and calls honestly Jane he's so large so large I've seen pictures yeah I think he must be eating in at least two or three other households yeah uh is there is there a Zempic for um I think I might have to look into it. Actually, well, there is that new way. treatment today: the balloon you can swallow. <laughs> don't, don't tempt me. Not you. That's but not something cat. that I should try at home with my cats. Uh, I was uh, wrestling a little bit the last time we did this. Uh, this passes for work. It is incredible, I know. But the last time we did this, uh, I, I was in the grip of um, well, not so much a hangover as a kind of lots of cocktails followed by a nocturnal vomiting incident not mine, uh, followed by an, an excessively long day. And Fee was then talking about, oh, could I be um, allergic to sulphites? Oh, yes, that's good. Yes, yeah. now do the, that. Well, this is from Sarah, who says she's in, uh, she's from the div divinethewine.co.uk, which suggests she probably knows something. The most likely culprit for Jane's wine hangovers, aside from the alcohol, is amines, amines, such as histamine. These occur naturally in wine, but increase significantly during malolactic conversion, a process that all red wines go through and some of the more full-bodied white ones. Jane would therefore be wise to avoid red wine and choose light-bodied, crisp white wines. She could also try taking an antihistamine prior to drinking other wines to see if this negates any effects. Well, that's worth trying. I haven't drunk red wine for 25 years. Just couldn't, couldn't go near it. Why? What happened the last time you did? Oh, no, I just, I just go bright red bright red in the face almost instantaneously imagine that it's partly i suspect i've never had really really expensive red wine um you're a church girl <laughs> i don't think you'd call me a regular church girl i've certainly been to church um but do you remember bulgarian country wine <laughs> why, why would I? well because it was marketed i think to eager teens uh back in the 1980s and um it was about one pound 30 it was affordable uh and um we did used to indulge and i certainly had one too many of those one night do you remember that okay. yes it was it was I, people will remember if they're my age and grew up in the uk because it had a sort of bucolic idyll label uh, but the effects were anything but idyllic. Right. Mm. For some anyway. reason, our our first kind of... I'm not sure whether we should go down this road of teenage drinking, but we were quite fond of Cinzano. Oh, yeah, but that was... Was that Joan Collins and Leonard Rossiter in the advert? I think that we didn't... That was lovely. It was so funny. We didn't realise uh, quite how much the advert had influenced us because obviously that advert, for anybody who doesn't remember it, it's worth looking it up on YouTube. So Joan Collins played glamorous Joan Collins mm. and Leonard Rossiter played this kind of bumbling, salivating man who ended up next to her on a plane and tipped his glass all over, over her and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, uh, but it was a very, very funny ad. But of course it wasn't aimed at you know us no. at all, A, because we probably weren't old enough to be drinking it, but also it was meant to be... What was that meant to convey... That you could be as glamorous as Leonard Rossiter, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but but obviously it must have uh, seeped through into our impressionable minds. Well, clearly it did. Yeah, because yeah. that's what we chose to drink. But also, yeah. I mean, it was just quite sweet. Oh yes, and that's always sweet. the key, isn't it? Mm. That's the key yes. when you're tiny. I had a much more sophisticated palate. Uh, yeah. So uh, lots of you have been in touch as well um, about. Hang on. Sorry for the racket. While Fee does that, I want to bring in Florence. Um, I was going to say about the Princess of Wales. Oh, well, we'll talk about her in a moment. But um, Florence says, I started wearing hearing aids at 16 and they were difficult to get used to. And I never really did. I didn't mind what they looked like, but the sound was absolutely unbearable. I haven't worn them for years. I can't imagine how loud the world must be for others. I live in Glasgow city centre and in a strange way, I do feel quite lucky and relieved to be able to live in a quieter world. I realise this is a huge privilege and I'm extremely grateful that my hearing loss isn't getting worse. Well, that is, I'm really glad to hear about that, uh, Florence, because that is important. Uh, but she just wants to say, um, the more I grow, the more respect and admiration I have for my mum, for her kindness, her care, her patience and her generosity. I can't remember a time in my life when I didn't feel loved, an amazing thing to be able to say and feel. And that's all thanks to her. She's taught me to work hard, speak up for myself and others, and to be kind, a really underrated quality, and to be proud as well. well I just want her to know 
I'm so proud to be her daughter. I, Florence, I think that's absolutely lovely. And uh, let's hope your mum does get to hear this. I don't think we know your mum's name, um, but you have enclosed a photograph of her. And this is the bit that made me fall in love with your mum. Uh, she is holding a taxidermy badger on the Paris Metro. There we are. She's clearly... Oh, yes. I mean, that's a good good photo. That's a very good and badger. It's a very... Well, it's an adequate uh, stuffed object. It's huge. Enormous. Uh, and Florence, I think you're lucky to have your mum. And by the sound of things, she's lucky to have you. So uh, thank you very much for that thoughtful email. Now, a lot of people think that there's a bit of hypocrisy going on because in our conversation with Robert Hardman about the biography that he's written of King Charles, he said uh, that he was very impressed with... King Charles's honesty about his prostate procedure, mm -hmm. which has led a lot of people to say, well, uh, you know, shouldn't we therefore be a little bit disappointed because the Princess of Wales, Catherine, has not been uh, forthcoming about why she's in hospital. And lots of people think that she should be a bit more open about whatever procedure she has had to have. Do you see a hypocrisy there? I don't see a hypocrisy because I, 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 we don't know what's caused her hospital stay and it's quite a significant period of time. Am I nosy enough to be interested in what's... Of course I am, because I, I would be such a liar if I said that I wasn't interested in finding out what had made her have to have this length of stay. But it's not hypocrisy because it's presumably the king's choice to be completely open and... It wouldn't. I don't. I don't think hypocrisy is the right word here. Mm. I, I think it's his decision, which he's made, to talk openly about his enlarged prostate. And I yep, think, so maybe it's just double standards. It's. I think it might be a hint of a double standard. Also, she has young children, uh, at a very all at vulnerable ages. Um, I think they absolutely deserve to be kept happy and secure in their childhood. Um, while this is going on. And mm. I, I think that's a that's the big, big factor here. Yeah. Um, so no, I don't think I don't think hypocrisy is the right word. No. Uh, so I it's just you know, and I'm not that interested, actually, if I can be brutally honest. Uh, Lizzie says, Long time listener, first time emailer, I love the show and listen each morning while mucking out my horses. Oh. Listening to your conversation with Robert Hardman this I can morning. just say that's the class of listener we're after. It is, isn't it? People with enough fridges to contain placentas just on their own, and, and people horses. mucking out horses. Listening to your conversation with Robert Hardman this morning regarding the current royal health woes, I felt compelled to write to clear up the mystery of the Princess of Wales' recent operation. When I casually said to my husband yesterday that I wondered what was wrong with her, he confidently, with just a hint of scorn at my ignorance, said, it's her prostate. It was on the news this morning. He's 61, but I fear his dreams of a career in medicine are now in tatters. <laughs> Very have, best, very best wishes. Where, VBW from Lizzie. Where is that man currently working? Because we do not want any of our listeners to be in any way treated by him. I love that. Right. Uh, do you think we should get to Tamsin? Because we've talked quite a bit and she's quite a long interview and Eve's tired. Yeah, all right. Yep. Okay, let's do it. Uh, Eve's tired cause she, because she's been lovely, haven't you? You've been out in the pub with a friend helping out. So let's give you a break. Tamsin Gregg is one of our finest actors. Fact. Black Books, Green Wing, Episodes, The Archers. And Jane does ask a special Archers question towards the end of this interview. Uh, I just went out and made myself a cup of tea. Friday Night Dinner, Shaun of the Dead. She's nailed them all. And she's playing in this new series, which is called Sexy Beast. It's a gangland drama on Paramount Plus. A matriarch. A permanent fag in hand. Uh, I mean, she's terrifying. She is. Yep. You wouldn't Absolutely mess with her. Oh, I certainly wouldn't. Uh, she's called Cecilia, the woman that she's playing. Uh, and as Tamsin explains in the interview, you know, she is one of those very, very kind of, I mean, almost brutal women, but there's a reason behind that. Uh, we asked her to tell us a little bit about the character. I'm playing Cecilia Logan in the Paramount Plus prequel series to the uh, cult film, I say, uh, of Sexy Beast that came out in 2000. Uh, this series looks at 
uh, something like a decade before that, mm. saying, well, how did these guys end up in Spain? And looking back at their context. And I play Cecilia Logan, who is the oldest sister of the character Don Logan, who in the film was played by Sir Ben Kingsley. And uh, Cecilia Logan is, as you say, a matriarch not to be messed with. Mm. There's quite a lot of violence in the series, isn't there? And uh, does that trouble you at all? Uh, as an actor or as a viewer? Both. Mm. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I think the violence uh, is very well handled in the show. I think it's surprising just how much you don't see. And uh, it's left to the viewer's imagination to actually... Uh, uh, engage with what's going on. You don't see very much blood. You don't see um, weapons being wielded so much, which I think is an elegant way of uh, of looking at that world that is uh, more violent than most of us ever experience in our lives. Mm. It is set in the 1990s, which is, I think, the further we get away from that decade, the more we realise it was complicated, actually, wasn't it? And it was definitely a time where I think women were encouraged to believe that there was something that they could do that was really powerful and really emancipating that they couldn't have done before in a man's world. And that's quite a key part of the plot, isn't it? Can you explain a bit more about the adult film star who is trying to make her way in a male-dominated male pleasured industry and carve exactly that kind of 90s niche that was a really well put together and She's long very sentence articulate, isn't she? i yeah. thought actually it had about four <laughs> too many <laughs> sub clauses <laughs> but well done for but well done for getting to the end of that <laughs> and um me not barging in sarah green yes. plays the younger version of amanda redman who was in the film mm. um plays the uh yeah the adult film star character of dd uh sarah green is absolutely stunning in the film and the the one that uh Gal Dove, which is the Ray Winston character now played by James McArdle, uh, falls for big time. And yes, she is uh, trying to find her own um, independence and authority and power within that male world, uh, which I think is also handled very elegantly. Um, I don't know that these women, uh, Dee Dee and Cecilia, would call themselves feminists, even that coming on the back of the you know that the eighties resurgence of um, the feminist voice. But I think that they would. Uh, acknowledge that they are engaging in their own ability to be powerful within a world that has, up to that point, excluded their agency. Yeah, and, I mean, the, the, the rest of the cast and the plot of Sexy Beast, I mean, it is a very masculine thing, isn't it? It's about gangs, it's about power, it's about territory. It is. It's also a love story, weirdly. Uh, it's a love story about between Gal and Don and that childhood friendship uh, that has developed into this... Um, Can I just start? Because I hadn't seen I hadn't seen the film. Sexy oh, right, oh, OK. So Don is a psychopath, isn't he? Well, I, I mean, Ben Kingsley's performance was, was breathtakingly um, dangerous. Yeah, So, but Gal, his childhood friend, has a kind of perverse loyalty to him or just a decent loyalty to him? Well, is I it? mean, uh, I think he has a loyalty to him. Mm. And when you grow up with people, regardless of how they operate... If you have history and you're enmeshed right. and you can't get out of that net, uh, I think it's, you know, it's, it's a complicated uh, dance, mm. uh, you know, sort of love dynamic. So you have that love affair between Gal and Don and then the love affair between Gal and Dee Dee. And then Don in his context of having an older sister, Cecilia, yeah. who's a kind of surrogate mother in the absence of any kind of um, parenting, she has saved him from an abusive um, scenario in their childhood by getting rid of the monster who's been causing so much distress to Don. But she does it in a very, very tough way mm. and makes him watch this the, the demise of the monster to prove that she is powerful enough to, to get rid of the monster under the bed. Yeah, It's a kind of warped love. Did you enjoy the 90s? As, as a person, not as an actress, but just as a, as a woman? I, I really liked the music. I was out a lot. I went dancing a lot. And, um, and I was starting out in the business, so things were exciting. 
And um, I didn't watch a lot of Friends, weirdly. You know, most people were in kind of like mm. mad for telly, but I was just out enjoying myself. Um, I think probably I would look after myself better. Mm. Well, you've done all right. <laughs> she, looks, she looks good, doesn't she, Fee? She does. Uh, you were in episodes with Matt LeBlanc, weren't you? Mm. Did, did he know that you didn't really stay in and watch Friends? Yeah, I did. Um, I didn't tell him at the time. I told him afterwards. I think probably it got. I think I said it in an interview that when it says I read the first script and it said um, uh, it's Matt. We want Matt LeBlanc in the show when it had originally been played by Richard Griffiths in our hit show in the UK, which was taken over to the states. We want Matt LeBlanc, and I went. Oh, now I know the name. <laughs> <laughs> so I did go and do a quick Google. Yes. Um, I think he was. Um, I think he was charmed by that. <laughs> That they didn't know who he was. Yeah. Yes. Well, charmed probably in in public, and then I would have thought crying in private. <laughs> I don't weeping. think I don't think he cared. <laughs> uh, we've got so many things that we need to talk to you about. Uh, can we talk about? We had Alan coming on the program last week, and his new show that he uh, is performing around the country is called Alan Cumming is not acting his age, and it's a kind of diatribe, <laughs> putting the hand up to you know people who want him to stay young, want him to look young. He's rather enjoying just you know growing old disgracefully. But he did talk about the pressure of cosmetic surgery and having to look young to get the parts. And I suppose we're always a bit surprised, more surprised when a man talks about that than a woman. I think we imagine that the pressure is definitely there for female actresses. And I wonder whether or not you have a strong view on that yourself. It does sound surprising that it's, for, you know, it's, a, it's a, a male problem. And of course, yes, it has been historically that women are supposed to look lovely and smooth. And um, <laughs> I was once given a cream by a makeup designer who said, I think this cream would be really lovely for you. I said, oh, great. I love a freebie. So I took that <laughs> home and I thought, oh, that's how brilliant, how lovely that she's gone, this is what you need. But it's only until sort of much later in the series that I read very tiny, tiny writing for prematurely ageing skin. Nice. And um, I, I was sort of, ta it made me laugh and I was taken aback. It was just very sweet, um, under the radar way of saying, I think you might need some yeah. help. It's passive aggressive, that <laughs> gift, isn't it? Very. <laughs> prematurely very. aging skin in brackets, tiny right and can't say it. Uh, so it was at that point that I thought, oh, wow. So, oh, that's a thing. And I think there may be a belligerent brought up in Kilburn kind of element of me that went, well, and I'm not doing it. Yeah, but we're so influenced, aren't we, by what we see on the screen. And we've got no way as as viewers of knowing if something's been enhanced or if somebody has had surgery or anything like that. And actually, you know, some of that is rather crucifying our young people, isn't it? It's creating uh, even more of a high bar that is just unachievable. It's just, you know, there are people lying with their faces you can't tell they're lying because they can't move. But do you find it frustrating? Because you, you must know that you go up against actresses who've had loads of work done. Does it feel like they're slightly not telling the truth? Listen, I know that uh, there are all sorts of computer programmes out there that can do whatever they want to once you've filmed and they can take it away and do what they want to, if they want to, right? I don't have any uh, authority over that. I mean, yes, we could put it as a rider. I can't be bothered with the fight, if they want to do it, fair enough. Uh, listen, I look the way I look. And my daughter kept shouting at me when I was much when she was much younger and she would say, Mummy, you're you're not liney. You're laughy. Oh, oh that's <laughs> And you know, I, I my face has got lots of lines on it because I laugh a lot and I'm quite expressive with my face and, and also what I didn't say to my daughter is because I've cried a lot as well in the night. <laughs> and I'm on my I don't, I don't know why I'm laughing. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Is that funny? The bit where I really become vulnerable in front of you is when you we laugh. laugh. Yes, I yeah. know. We're both extremely sorry about that. <laughs> yes. I'm very sorry. Yeah. Yes. So you know, I think my face tells a story. Of what I what my life has been like. I yeah. mean, yes, there's a pressure. I really feel for the young people that there is a pressure on conformity and uh, you know not getting old. But I think it's also about our ingrained terror of 
getting old, which is an ingrained terror of dying. Mm. You know, the older I look, the closer I am to my departure. And, you know, that's a real fear. But then maybe we should just be really engaging with what it is to be alive, to live well, but and also to die well. You know, looking at my old face, maybe it's me going, yeah, look, I'm dying really well. Yeah. I mean, you're absolutely beautiful, so... And so are you. Well, that's not strictly true. Well, and we'll take a we, short break. Why do we do an ad break Why now? do you do that? <laughs> I mean, we'll take a short break just take and we'll come, we'll come back take with a com- reality check. I can ask my archer's question. <laughs> Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Uh, can we talk about Friday night dinner because you've made papers? Uh, because uh, you were asked in a previous interview, and obviously we would have got to this question ourselves first, <laughs> uh, about the nature of casting. Because Friday night dinner, for people who didn't see it, was a sitcom that ran for was it nearly nearly ten years? It was it, yeah, it was over eleven years. Yes, yeah. And you were the mum, mum and dad, two boys focused around Friday night dinner in a Jewish family in, I've always assumed, North London. Mm-hmm. Uh, you play Jackie Goodman, mm-hmm. the mum, absolutely brilliantly. Thank you. You have Jewish ancestry, but you wouldn't identify yourself as being Jewish. And I know that you've now got thoughts about that casting that perhaps you didn't have at the time. Is that a fair summation? I did have thoughts at the time and spoke to Robert Popper, the writer, about it. And my concern of me being non-Jewish, playing a Jewish woman, and my real antipathy to stereotype, I wanted to be very careful about how to portray her. And uh, Robert Popper, who is Jewish and is writing about his family environment and his growing up in a a culturally secular, maybe Jewish home, um, although observant in some ways, uh, he said... Don't don't worry. I'm the writer. I know what I can hear. I'm writing a kind of music of what of what I hear in that in that environment, and I'll be there. So I think we'll be okay. So he reassured me. Um, I think what's been <laughs> brought to the front recently is that um, the conversations that we're having now about casting and about diversity and about representation and about access are very strong and they're very different to what they were like in the early in the 2000s when when we started thinking about the show so i think we would just have a different approach now to say is it is it appropriate for me to be playing now mm. then it was okay that was the environment and um but i did make sure yeah if you were offered exactly the same part now would you even have the conversation though would you walk away from it i don't know interesting is there also a very valid argument that if you only cast people who have a first-person experience of the character that they're playing, you can also end up, alienating might be too strong a word, but putting a barrier between you and the audience who think, well, that's not my experience. I am only watching people with a very different experience. The actor can sometimes be that perfect kind of bridge into something. Isn't that part of the reason why you're doing it? 
I think so. I think it's, you know, it's about the artistry. You know, it is a craft about how you um, inhabit a character. But I do really appreciate and uh, accept those arguments about um, those positions of power. You know, if you've, if you've historically been in a position of power and then you're playing somebody from an oppressed group, I think you need to be very thoughtful about what you step into and what you engage with. Um, you know, I'm not from the east end of London, but I'm playing Cecilia Logan in Sexy Beast, who is. So I'm probably the closest in the cast, geographically, to Mile End, but having grown up in Kilburn. Um, does that mean that I shouldn't be there because, you know, I'm, I'm not the right, right postcode? Uh, I think there are still areas where we can say, yeah, no, that we can lean into that. Yeah. But to be just very conscious. And does comedy uh, allow you to do something different too? Jane and I have often had this conversation about how we felt a little bit offended by quite a lot of male comedy where men are impersonating women. Little mm. Britain is a familiar refrain My particular for particular bet noir. Sometimes. <laughs> and, and, you know, the argument that comes back from comedians is that's their way of inviting everybody in. But I don't, I don't know whether that works. Do you think of comedy as allowing slightly different kind of boundaries? Mm, that's an interesting question. I don't know if I have an answer for that. I think, um, I think people are changing their minds about things. Isn't that great, though, that we are in, in mm. times now where people are going... Oh, well, I thought I knew what I thought about that. And now I'm just, my position is shifting on that. Um, I think men are beginning to realise that being in a position of power and playing a, a, a person, a woman from an, mm, a, an oppressed group historically, mm. uh, there are ramifications, there are consequences of that. Yeah. I think I think there is an awareness growing for that. However, of course, you know, I played a male char character in uh, at National Theatre in Twelfth Night, and I was the first female actor to play Malvolio. So I'm sure that they would hold that up and say, "But hang on a minute, you've just done it." But I think then we're in different times. We're you know we're, there are different groups holding power, and uh, and they and we need to shift those around. Archer's time. Do you like playing <laughs> Debbie? <laughs> The she archers. was so keen. That question fired out of your face. <laughs> Do you like playing Debbie in The Archers? <laughs> For people who don't listen to The Archers, doesn't matter. Who's I'm, Debbie? It doesn't matter. People who do listen will know. Interesting. <clears throat> I mean, at the moment, you're, people who do listen will understand that you're very busy farming in Hungary yeah. and you occasionally swoop back to Ambridge and make a usually a pretty telling intervention which often involves your father, Brian, yeah. uh, because you are the only one... Well, he used, he's actually getting a, a bit nicer in his dotage, isn't he, mm, old Brian? Soft uh, old marshmallow. <laughs> well, ish. <laughs> but do you like doing it? Uh, <laughs> that that job came along at just the right time mm. when I was very new into the business. I'd been a, I'd been an actor for a year, right? And I went for an audition, and I didn't know what a radio studio was. I didn't know what radio technique was. I happened to get it thinking that I was going to be in the show for maybe six weeks. Here we are, thirty more yeah. years later. Mm. So I'm so grateful that that came along, mm. and that I can bob back in every now and then. Uh, and see actors, you know, to have that sort of continuity in yeah. your life is just, it's just do wonderful. You, I am a bit of a nerd for this. Do you actually physically go there, or do you just sort to of to Hungary your... or to... no, 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 no. <laughs> Even I know you don't go to Hungary. Yeah. Do you go to Birmingham, where I gather <laughs> they meet in a room to pretend they're on a farm in in Borsetshire? You are shattering dreams, lady. I know. Or do you just ping your lines off on a Zoom wow. or something? Wow, I mean, that's rude. Sorry. Um, okay. I do go with all the other actors to yeah. Birmingham okay. to record. Right. Except during lockdown, when, when we did it in cupboards with duvets around us. Right. Uh, so, yes, I do go there, and it's... Um, it's, it's lovely and to be with them. there's no chance that you're going to go back permanently to Ambridge? Well, I came... Because uh, uh, Brian's on his own. Brian. I know Kate's moved in with him, but we don't know how there long are, He does last. have a lot of children, yes. okay? <laughs> Doesn't he? He's been a rogue so in his time. there's someone will give him a hard time. Okay. Which is great. And you said that you would like a general knowledge question about the archer, so I have just got the okay, one. Go on then. Um, when there was, they tried to have a revamp of the bull in Ambridge yeah. to try and make it more modern, what did they change its name to? 
the Bullocks. <laughs> right, you failed. <laughs> and I am never watching anything with Tamsin Gregg in it again. <laughs> I don't know, what did they try to change The Bee at Ambridge. The Bee. Oh, that's oh. quite good, because it's like... Oh, I'd go bull. to the Bee at Ambridge. Cause yeah, they, but nobody a, did, so they changed it back changed to the it back bull. to the Bull. But yeah. was it a gastropub? Did it have nice fat triple-cooked chips? Do, they do do food, but I don't... Or think just honey-based products. <laughs> Maybe. Did they, they have their own hives? Yes, I know. Or did the people just came out in hives? I think the Archers brings fee out in hives, which is why I'm not normally allowed to talk about it. <laughs> yeah, with the I'm toilet, so say, ladies, and then manuka. Oh. Get it? <laughs> Right enough. <laughs> I want there to be a honey that's called Womanuka. That's very good we'll, idea, we'll Brandon. Sexy Beast is out on Thursday on Paramount Plus, and uh, you you never like my pun jokes, do you? You always pour scorn on them. I, think, I thought Manuka was great, and Tamsin's yeah. Womanuka. It's, a ter- it's terrific. I was a bit jealous of the two of you bonding over your gags. I think that's what it was. I mean, I've got I've got my own showbiz pals anyway, so it doesn't really matter to me anymore. I'm not sure I'll be in tomorrow because, um, well, you know, other offers have come my way. Let's put it that way. Right. So it's a long <laughs> goodbye. <laughs> In the meantime, I'm going home to a fried egg. Yeah. Uh, maybe my showbiz life will come back. At some do you point. think that there are many ex-leaders of the Labour Party who would want to step into my shoes and do a podcast with you where you talk largely about a anti-West Coast <laughs> and presenters? I mean, there um, are a few to choose from. I think I haven't heard enough from Tony Blair recently. Oh, God. I think I might give Tone a call. I sat next to him once at dinner. Have I told you that story? Oh, yes! <laughs> you have! I... <laughs> Well done for getting to the end of another episode of Off Air with Jane Garvey and Fee Glover. Our Times radio producer is Rosie Cutler and the podcast executive producer is Henry Tribe. And don't forget, there is even more of us every afternoon on Times Radio. It's Monday to Thursday, 3 till 5. You can pop us on when you're pottering around the house or heading out in the car on the school run. Or running a bank. Thank you for joining us and we hope you can join us again on Off Air very soon. Don't be so silly. Running a bank? I know, lady. A lady listener? I'm sorry. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com